0: Hey, everybody, it's Assault City Hoops podcast. Uh, No NBA basketball in this Memorial Day weekend. How weird is that? But that doesn't mean that there's not plenty to talk about. Um, And we'll talk about it. Uh, The salary cap spreadsheets are open. The player lists are in front of us. We're ready to break down a pivotal, um, question-laden, intense, interesting offseason for the Utah Jazz Here to do that, Uh, I'm Dan Clayton, Associate Editor of SaltCityHoops.com, and joining me from the desert, from Phoenix, is Ken Clayton. Uh, Ken, how's it going? Hey, it's going pretty good. Pretty well. It's going all kinds of ways. It is. It is. So how weird is it that we don't have conference finals to watch on this Memorial Day weekend?
1: Yeah, that was really strange last week when I think we were IMing when I realized, hey, wait a minute. So the Warriors I think it was before the Warriors had locked it up, but it was uh it, it was right or they just had, but but it was pretty certain that Probably neither series was going to make it to the weekend unless the Cavs Celtics went six. And I thought, well, that is so odd to not have a game Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Just, to, you know, I, I don't recall that ever happening before. It probably has at some point, but um, not at all recently.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's odd. Um, but it gives us a chance to um, prep a little for what will be a busy, call it six weeks ahead Um, so obviously the next two to three weeks in Jazzland will continue to be quiet as, as Utah's brass gets ready for the draft on June 22nd. Um, you know, we'll, we'll hear about player workouts. We'll have a chance to scout potential draftees, which for me at least usually just means reading what other people have, have written and seeing which descriptions fancy me the most. Um, but really, it'll be, you know, kind of that window, June June 22nd-ish. Um, you know, last year, they made the George Hill trade a few day, a couple days before the draft. So it's really like that week into, you know, July 1st, free agency starts. And then obviously, it takes, um, you know, days and sometimes weeks for all the chips to fall in free agency. So it's really that, you know, two, three, four-week window um, where I think a lot of the questions that people have about Utah and where they go from here and what's going to happen with some of their talent. Um, you know, those questions should really be answered here in short order.
1: Yeah, no, it should be an exciting time. I think my draft uh, prep is usually about like yours. That's why our mock drafts are usually pathetic. They're just based on what other people uh, have said. And then we spin things around a little bit to, to give it a little variety. So we're not just copying draft express or Chad Ford or whoever, but, uh, no, it should be a good a good time and lots of topics to talk about as we look at the Jazz roster and see where it might look like it'll end up next fall.
0: Yeah, well, that's, I mean, yeah, what you said is precisely why I always try to be honest with people and tell them, you know, if you're looking for someone who um, spends the year scouting the NCAA and the international circuit um, to know the scouting report of all these players down to, you know, left hand right hand how high they jump whatever um you should probably listen to someone else's podcast or at least a different episode of this podcast where um we've researched stuff like that a little more what i do think um you and i are i i would say uniquely qualified to do because um we've been doing this for a while and we're pretty um familiar with the collective bargaining agreement and the different rules of of how Player signings and trades might work. I I th- I think that this could be a good opportunity to look at Utah's roster and start to guess on maybe who who could be wearing the blue, green, and gold come this fall.
1: Sounds like a plan. All right, we uh, we're gonna start at the top.
0: I mean, I think there's I think that you have to start there, right? Because any other conversation we could get into, you know, we could talk about Derek Favors and we could talk about their plans with the pick. But everything, everything starts with, do they expect Gordon Hayward back? And, and do they get Gordon Hayward back after free agency on, on July 1st?
1: So do you want my gut reaction or do you want to chat first and then we make our, our reveal our, our decisions later? Where do you want to go with this discussion?
0: Uh, let's, let's hear your gut feeling. Let's, let's just start there and we'll work backwards from that.
1: Well, and like the draft, my gut feeling is a little based on just whispers you hear here and there and and you know these days uh Gordon Hayward's wife's instagram is a is a source of uh if not information at least um it's being examined closely for any hint um my my gut is that he probably stays. But he's going he's gonna to get some people making runs at him, and I think there'll be good runs, and I think there'll be runs that um, you know he'll have to look at and have to consider. But if I had to lay odds on it right now, I would still say he's probably back in a Jazz uniform next year. Um, and, of course, he has a couple of options. I mean, we, we all assume he's going to opt out and sign a, a huge contract. The other path he could take is uh, – Uh, not opt out, stay the one year and then, and then be a free agent next year. And the idea I think for him to do that is maybe he can make all NBA next year because he just missed out this year or, well, not just missed out, but he, he, he didn't make it. So maybe next year he makes it and that makes him eligible for the even more lucrative contract.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I understand the math of that one. I just I don't think it's I don't think it's terribly likely um mostly because it you know to your point it's not like he was the 16th guy in all NBA right. voting like there's there's some gap he'd have to make up and I don't and I don't think he can just assume that he's going to be there next year but more importantly I just think you know if if you actually get into the numbers of um you know the cap is Projected to be relatively flat next season, so um, you know, will the extra five percent max he could get? What we're talking about, folks, is the designated veteran player contract that that only All NBA and and a couple other uh, eligible players can get. Um, that unlocks a thirty-five percent max for players in Gordon Hayward's age group, as opposed to the thirty percent max, which is what he's he's qualified for. So if you look at if you make that comparison um even if it goes right for him you know he he would make up that that difference that year one difference you know making 16 million and change this year as opposed to um going ahead and cashing in on the 30 million the estimated 30 million dollar max contract I'm just I I'm not sure I'm not sure that he's going to that's a pretty big bet to make and then if you don't miss if you don't make the 35% max criteria it's not like next year you just make this major boon because the cap just jumped again like you're still doing you're still signing a 30 million dollar contract next year is i guess what I'm trying to say that was a long way to say that
1: yeah, it was. And I, and I agree with you. It's, it's not the most likely scenario. I mean, I think we're all pretty prepared for the fact that on whatever date it has to happen, he's going to opt out of the contract there, but there's some, you know, whatever it is, 5% chance that he says, I'll try this. I doubt it because I think you're right. When I looked at the all NBA voting, I think he has to leapfrog one, two, three guys to get into third team as a forward. Uh, there's Paul George, there was somebody else. And then of course he's got to also leapfrog one of the two guys on the third team who did make it yeah so it's it's a tough it's a tough ask because you know these guys aren't presumably going to fall apart um so uh he'd have to really raise his game just to claw his way to th- the third team and so he, he, his safest route is probably <laughs> go ahead and take the, the the max this year even though it cost him a few dollars against the what if next year
0: yep no i i agree with you um not only would he have to leapfrog all those guys, but then there are other guys that weren't really in the conversation this year because of health and some other reasons that, you know, like if we're talking about the math being complicated next year, throw Blake Griffin back into the mix. Right. Um, right. Or, or players like that. I I think so. Carl Anthony Towns made it right. Or at least he was closer to making it than Gordon. So he's already, yeah. he's already in that panorama, but I guess what I'm just saying is, um, you know, there, there are guys. In addition to the guys that we already know, Hayward would have to leapfrog to unlock that designated veteran player max next season. Um, yeah, he might have to leapfrog some other guys as well. But I, but I'm also with you on kind of the larger gut feel, which is this sense that I, I think, I think the Jazz have a better than fifty percent shot right now. And I don't know exactly how I'd handicap it, but to me, part of um, part of what gives me confidence in saying that is when you look at the teams that have, in fact, I did this when I was working on the two part column about who might make a run at Hayward for salt city hoops. When you look at who has cap space or who could create a max cap slot, and then you line that up next to teams that are already really good. um, I'm just not sure anyone has kind of that combination other than the jazz Even Boston, who people talk about being scary, and they are scary. I mean, if you're not, if Jazz fans aren't a little bit scared about Boston, then they're not paying attention because a lot of things, Boston makes sense for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons why they don't make sense is to get to 30 million in cap space, they are going to have to make some tough choices. They're going to have to let some good players walk, and they're going to have to trade some really good, high-quality rotation players. So I don't think it's just a no-brainer that that's done. Um, and, and so I would, I would put, I would put Boston pretty high on my threat list, but I still agree with you that I, I think Utah has a a strong shot.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and Boston, you know, they are, they are one possibility for a team that could jump in there and everybody, I mean, I think they've been on everybody's radar for ages just because of the Brad Stevens relationship. I think that's probably less of a factor than, than people think because, Agreed. you know, as has been pointed out everywhere, he spent more time with Quinn Snyder, more time in the jazz organization than he ever did with Brad Stevens at Butler. Yeah. So if if it comes down to where do I feel like I belong, I would have to think. Utah is a place where he already feels comfortable it's not a risk and he's going to get the same well actually more money by staying there so it's going to have to be a it's really going to have to wow him and make him feel like it's a it would have to make him feel like it was a place where he could he had a better chance to excel and win a championship than he than he does here in Utah or I guess the one thing that I I do uh you know, think about is, you know, or it has to be a place where he thinks he can make more money with endorsements and things because, you know, I've, the, the reason that jumped into my mind recently is watching this, this, um, the mattress ad that he's done recently and (laughs) it's it's kind of a low, yeah, it's kind of a low budget advertising campaign. I mean, except for they got two NBA players in there, but I mean, it's, and, and you think, well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's what he's doing. I'm sure he's doing some other things in Salt Lake City. I think he has a couple things that I see during the the league pass games that I get, but um, you know, he'd obviously have crazy opportunities elsewhere, but do any of those places have the means to get him? Probably not with the possible exception of Boston.
0: Right. Right. Well, I think not only do I agree with everything you just said about, about the reasons why I think Utah is in good shape. The other thing that I think Utah has that even Boston doesn't, I think not only does he know he fits in Utah, But I think when he's imagining a future in Utah, he doesn't have to sit and wonder what his place is in the pecking order of things. And and I think, you know, I don't I don't pretend to know Gordon on a personal level, Um, even though I did interact. You know, we did overlap a little bit when I was doing jazz radio, you know, before I left the market. He was drafted and he was there. So we had a little overlap. I mean, by that I mean we had some 5 minute pregame conversations it's not like I know him on a deep and personal level but just from everything I've heard about him everything that other people have said about him I do think that matters to him I don't think he wants to go somewhere and you know be the fourth option or the third option even I I think it's important to him for part of his legacy to be that he was really a player that mattered on a title team and and to feel like he belongs with the upper, upper echelon of the NBA. So I'm just not sure, you know, like stepping into the Boston situation, for example, and you're like, there's a point at which you're probably wondering like, okay, if I go there, is that more Isaiah Thomas's team or is it more my team? And by the way, what are they doing with IT after next season? Because he's a free agent after next season. And, and what about Al Horford who, has a better career resume than, than either of us, but obviously is on the downhill part of his career. And, um, and I just, I, I think that's interesting. I think that's gotta be interesting for Hayward who is 27 and doesn't have that much of his prime left to think about not just where can I win and where can I fit in, but where can I, where can I be assured that, that, that i'm not just on a 55 win team that's that's interesting and relevant but that i'm really you know one of the main reasons why that team is interesting and relevant and winning 50 55 60 games a year
1: sure yeah. No, I, I know what you're talking about. So yeah, I, I, obviously the two biggest uh, competitors out there, you know, are, are well, not competitors, but the jazz competitors, I was counting themselves, but, and, and the Celtics and and there some other people will throw their, throw their offers out there. Um, but it'll be interesting to see, but it might get feel is he stays. He doesn't, he, at least he doesn't go to the Boston option is is most likely to me. Although, they, like I said, I mean, we've said it a couple of times, they are compelling. They also, well, they got to the conference finals. Uh, they were the top team in the East by record, although clearly not by winning the conference finals. Um, and they, you know, they got beat four to one. They were somewhat competitive, you know, without, uh, even after Isaiah Thomas went down. So, I mean, there's some options. And they have the number one pick. Whether they flip that into a player or keep a pick, they, they have some some opportunity to improve. But I still think, for the moment anyway, I'm leaning toward number 20 still in Utah.
0: Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I think, and this might be counterintuitive and I might wind up being totally wrong on this, I actually think that if they trade the number one pick for a player, I think that makes it less likely that Gordon goes there. Yeah. Um, Partially because if they trade it for a player, there's a good chance that it's a player like um, Jimmy Butler or Paul George or Carmelo Anthony who renders Gordon a little bit positionally redundant, right. right? But also just, you know, let's say they trade it for, let's say they let's say they package that and Avery Bradley and some other things and they go get Blake Griffin, right? Um, even though Blake isn't someone who steps on Gordon Hayward's toes positionally, then you just wind up with that same question of like, Okay, so if I go there, am I a fourth option? am I a third option? like how do I fit? What am I on that team and yeah. um whereas you know you can you can stay put and be the main guy on a team that won fifty one games and according to some estimates, might have won you know a handful more if not for injuries so um so I don't know I, I think it'll be interesting. Are there any other teams other than Boston that that keep you up at night as Hayward threats? <laughs>
1: not at this stage no to be honest i haven't looked that closely at everybody else's situation and who might be interested in him uh, do i think he goes to the teams that have the most cap space whether that's a philly or a lakers or whatever no i don't think he goes to a i don't think he goes to a lottery team uh unless it's just a fringe lottery team and they make him a great offer and he thinks he's the difference to bring them up i i think in general he's going to want to go to uh, a a team where he has a good chance to win in the next Three to four years. Yeah. I, I mean, as good a, as good a chance as anybody has to win because we're we're in this era right now where we're just getting treated to uh, Golden State-Cleveland finals every year, um, and and not only Golden State-Cleveland finals, but Golden Clay, Golden State-Cleveland finals by a mile. Yeah. Um, right now, nobody looks like they're uh, ready to even make them sweat. Uh, so, we'll. Although Leonard might have made him sweat a little bit had he not gotten injured in game one. He was making him sweat up to the point he got injured.
0: But Well, and that's, by the way, that's one of my stealth teams that I... Um, there's there's not a lot of actual, logical reasons to worry about San Antonio as it relates to Hayward, but San Antonio and Indiana are the two that I, I can't help but... I can't help but kind of recognize that they're there. Indiana, yeah. because... They could get to a max contract pretty easily. Um, they're the hometown team. Paul George apparently loves Gordon Hayward and has dreamed about playing with him. And that too, the, you know, those two together would make a hell of a tandem. Um, San Antonio, I just don't want to sleep on them because I don't think you can ever sleep on San Antonio. And, and you know, it would be really tough for them to create a max slot. Um, for Hayward, let alone for some of the other free agents that they're rumored to have interest in. Like Chris Paul and Kyle Lowry both have the higher max figure. I don't know how the Spurs open up 35 million in cap space, but, um, but I also just know that when they have a chance to get something done, you know, they'd also didn't have cap space for LaMarcus Aldridge when that first when that rumor first started brewing. So I guess I just, I I wouldn't, um, you know, but to your point, how many teams can really um, can really get to thirty easily? Not that many. In fact, here are the teams that can get to thirty million without you know without dumping salary, you know, without trade. Like these are teams that can just get there by renouncing free agents, by not keeping the rights to restricted to non-star level restricted free agents. It's Brooklyn, who's a bottom ten team. It's Chicago, a middle of the pack team, Denver, middle of the pack, Indiana, middle of the pack, Philly, a bottom 10 team, Phoenix, a bottom 10 team, Sacramento, a bottom 10 team, and that's it. So um, anyone else would have to really start to do some some uh, finagling cap-wise to get it done.
1: Yeah, tear up your roster to bring Hayward in but does Hayward want to walk into that situation where in Utah, he's got a roster that's been built up. That's, that's fairly solid. And we'll be talking about that more because there are some other question marks. Yeah, no, I, I you're right. It's, it's none of those are likely to me, me, you know, maybe the Indiana. And then, like you said, the Spurs could be a dark horse there. Um, if they don't go after Chris Paul or don't get Chris Paul and, uh, they try to sneak in and do another Lamar, Lamarcus Aldridge, uh, surprise
0: yeah including maybe by I mean offloading LaMarcus Aldridge is one way they could get there but uh, you know right anyway well we'll we'll leave it to the Spurs experts to do a Spurs uh season option podcast let's actually follow your line of thinking because you just were talking about how um you know there are some other questions for the Jazz too so let's talk point guard next because I th- I think that the Jazz have some interesting options in point uh, at point guard um and I do, and I don't say that because I don't want to sound like I'm underestimating how important George Hill was to their success this past season. Um, you know, when he was available for 49 out of 82 games, but I do think that keeping him is going to cost, uh, you know, minimum. He's probably going to cost the Jazz 20 million and up. Um, I think his camp wants more than that, but the reality for that tier of free agent is that there just might not be that many teams. Able to support that asking price, but 20 million pretty easily. So, my question for you, Ken, and these are kind of the options that are being bandied about, you know, by jazz media, by other, um, you know, on social media for sure. Um, Do you keep George Hill and just say, screw the cost? We need him because. Um, You know, he was really the catalyst that helped us get to 50 wins. Or do you say, um, or do you say, you know what, we'll, we'll try our luck with uh, not bargain basement, but a a really kind of comparatively speaking, low cost option like Darren Williams or Milos Teodosic, who I imagine both of those guys are available somewhere around the mid level or lower, or do you kind of go that middle route? and use the last remaining cap space that the Jazz have until June 30th to try to trade for someone that might be in that middle ground, like a Ricky Rubio or a um, Drew Holiday is a bad example because he's a free agent, but someone like that who's maybe kind of middle ground as it relates to cost and quality.
1: You're asking me to pick among those options? Well, I'm just as saying... If I'm Den- I put on my Dennis Lindsay hat.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I guess I'm just saying, you know... What does it, you're looking at the same cap math I'm looking at. Um, It's going to be tough for the Jazz to avoid the tax, even this season and next season. And that's before Rodney Hood and Dante Exum have new contracts that could be kicking in. Um, So just, I mean, do you think it's feasible to pay $20 million to a point guard who, by the way, missed 40% of the season and I, and I don't and I'm, I realize I asked that in a way that sounds like I'm leading the the witness I'm not trying to lead the witness because on the other side of that same coin like he was really important the jazz don't win fifty games without George Hill this past season
1: well, I'm actually in the camp where I think you said not to underestimate how valuable George Hill was to the team I'm in the camp where I think by and large we meaning you know jazz nation Overestimates how important he was to the team I think it was very important to the team for the first 10 to 20 games the first uh, Was it 11 or how many was Hayward out at the start of the seven, year? Seven. eleven. Seven. Okay. He, yeah seven. He missed the those first games seven. those games clearly. I don't know how many J- wins the Jazz get without George Hill He was basically the first option lead led him in scoring whatever and then even the games after that uh, when Hayward was back before his uh, his first injury the thumb injury Um i mean he was that important to them if you took those 20 games out and i'm guessing on the number it could be 18 it could be 25 i don't know i think he was fairly average um partly because he wasn't there and partly because he had some he had a long stretch late in the season when he didn't play and then granted would he have made the difference and turned the golden state sweep into a a somehow a series win? No, absolutely not. But you know, not even being available to play and I understand injuries, but I also just wonder, you know, that, that just made me question a little bit, um, you know, his fit with the team, how the team feels about him going forward. Maybe it's fine. Maybe I'm making stuff up and uh, looking at chemistry too hard, but, um, So, I think he's a little overrated in Jazz fans' eyes for his contribution to the success of the team beyond the first 20 games of the year. Because of that, and because of the 20 million or higher range that he's looking for, or even if we just say it's 20 million, because that's where they'll meet in the middle eventually. I don't know. It's tough to go that high. It's it, it's going to be really tough. I'm not so much worried about you know the Rodney Hill and Dante Exum extensions the next year because that stuff works itself out. I don't necessarily think both of them are guaranteed to even be in the Jazz mix oh, by agree. that point in time. Yeah. So, um, but it's going to be it's going to be uh, you know I I still I don't know that you hamstring yourself that that much 20 million over how many years for a 31 year old guy i know these i know these injuries he had this last year were you know kind of freak freak injuries they weren't like you know he's got a bad back or a bad knee um but i it it worries me to think about paying 20 million if you're going especially if you're going like a four-year contract but even if you're going to one year and and he won't take a one-year contract but even if you were just looking at one year i think that's a little rich for what he really brought the jazz for the for the final three quarters of the season.
0: Well, okay. So a bunch of interesting points you made there. Um, and I guess let me start with the years discussion, because I actually think years are, everyone's talking about the money. And, and in fact, I just, I introduced this topic by talking about the money. So, uh, but I think the years are really important. And in fact, I think there's a chance. Um, and I, and I say this because I don't like, reporting on you know quote unquote reporting on stuff that is scuttlebutt or on stuff i've heard from other people but um i think there's a chance that he, that the year's question might have been why the re- the renegotiation and extension didn't happen by the february 28th deadline um got it and meaning i'm not sure so the most the jazz could have done is is uh bump his his, his salary for the then current season and then, and then add three years. And I'm not I'm not 100% sure that's what was on the table from the Jazz's end. I think they might have been trying to get him to agree to something less than that. It, bottom line, I think years are really important in this equation because you're talking about someone who is 31 and has not always had great health. You also mentioned the chemistry point. And I guess what I'd say here is, um, I totally agree with you, and this is just one more reason why I wish I was able to read Gordon Hayward's mind, because I really think the question of whether or not George Hill returns comes down to how badly does Gordon want him here, um, yeah. and, and I don't know the answer to that question. I think everyone assumes that because they're buddies and because they're both Indiana guys and... And, um, <clears throat> you know, they've worked out together in, in summers past. I think everyone just assumes that Gordon wants him here. And that may well be the case. I don't know otherwise. But what I will say is that um, part of what will informs inform Gordon's viewpoint on do I want George Hill back as a starting point guard teammate um, will be this availability problem. Will be the question of, you know, can I can i go into the foxhole with someone who when we're down 0 to 1 to the golden state warriors in the conference semifinals decides he's done for the season and and that's not to say that i think that there was any sandbagging there like he was hurt he was legitimately hurt but i do think that um that the 49 games played in the regular season and that the 3 games missed at the most crucial juncture of the post season um I, I think that will impact the way Gordon Hayward thinks. And I think the way Gordon Hayward is thinking will absolutely drive what the Jazz do. Uh, and let me put that another way. Dennis Lindsay and Quinn Snyder right now know what Gordon Hayward wants to see happen with George Hill. And they're making their plans based on that. So if there's even a hint in, George, in Gordon's mind about... about uh, oh man, I just don't know that I want to come back if our starting point guard is some guy that everyone says is really good from Europe, but nobody's seen him play in the NBA in Milos Teodosic. If there's any sense of that, then yeah, I think the Jazz brass will look for a better starting point guard option. But if there's a little bit of doubt in Gordon's mind about uh he I like him, we're great friends. He's a good basketball player. He's helped our team, but he's thirty one He just came off a season where he missed thirty three games. I'm not sure then they know that too and um and I think that that's going to be the most important factor in determining the George hill question.
1: yeah, you're probably right um i'm I'm certain he's definitely uh voiced his opinions and probably will continue to consult with the team. In fact, he said as much at some point during the season that he is um, up to speed on, on certain aspects of player movement.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is an awkward time for that, right? Because if, if Dennis calls Gordon Hayward up today and says, Hey, let's talk about draft prospects, you know, there's an elephant in the room during that conversation. Um, that makes that, uh, that makes that a weird exchange. And by the way, borderline makes it a tampering type of exchange, right? Unless, unless Dennis is really careful about caveating all the, you know, like there could be an argument made about, Hey, if, if Dennis Lindsay is calling Gordon Hayward in late May and June to talk about personnel moves for the upcoming season, then that's unfair to, to the other 29 GMs who were lined up waiting to talk to Gordon. And I get that but but yeah i do i just I do think that if Gordon wants George Hill back, um, then they'll make it a priority
1: yeah, I've actually always wondered about that with because after because until June thirtieth, Gordon Hayward is a member of the Utah Jazz, but I know what you're saying that you know you can't go out and negotiate with him, you can't do any of that stuff, but I, I've always wondered about contact between teams and their own free agents before they actually become free agents on july 1st
0: yeah i was actually reading this the other day in the uh in the collective bargaining agreement and there's like specific language about what it means to negotiate with a player um you know before july 1st and i'll have to find that i'll see if i can find that while we're while we're talking here because it was really interesting to see that really spelled out in terms of like you can't talk about future employment you can't talk about compensation but you can't you know like i think we all know that before 11 59 on on june 30th players already have the meetings set up so like right. <laughs> that means that teams and agents have talked and expressed mutual interest at least so um obviously there's some middle ground on that but but yeah it'll um I'm curious about that too. I'm curious to know how much input he has on, you know, let's say that they have an opportunity around the draft to trade. I'll just make this up. Let's say it's Trey Lyles and a draft pick for Ricky Rubio, right? Mm -hmm. Like Dennis Lindsay is probably going to want to know how his super, how his superstar free agent feels about that deal before he makes that deal. Like that's, that's a tough one. Unless like I said before, unless they just already know kind of how he feels about Rubio and how he feels about Hill and, and how he feels generally about the way that he wants the team to go.
1: Yeah. I wonder if they tackle a little bit of that in the exit interview, you know, they give their, the team gives their opinions and, uh, gets a little bit of feedback from, from guys like him, not from Jeff Withey or yeah, whoever else at the end of the bench. So yeah. now it's interesting.
0: Um, all right, well, let's let's go... I don't want to call it lightning round because we can spend as much time as we want to, but I, I was just curious to hear your list. Obviously, Hay- Hayward and Hill will drive a lot of the conversation over the next five weeks, but, um, but I've looked at the roster and kind of broken it into who do we expect back in a Jazz uniform this fall? Who do we think that there's a better than 50 50 chance who are the guys that it's kind of more or less a toss-up and who do we think is basically gonzo so let's uh i'll give you the i'll give you the chance to start our first category so who are the guys that you think are almost certainly back
1: almost certainly back i've got four guys on that list okay Let's start with our uh, all NBA center Rudy Gobert.
0: He's he's a pretty good basketball player. They should keep he's, him. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Dante Exum. Okay. I expect back next year. Joe Johnson, I expect back next year. And uh Ballin boy Okay. Specifically because he's on the, you know, minimum contract and they're gonna need a few of those going forward. <laughs> and 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 because I mean, I think he did what the team asked of him this year. So I mean there's no reason that they would you know not want to keep him around. And 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 I don't think he's somebody that some that people will come looking for in a trade unless they just need a million dollars uh to even things out. But those are my four. Who yeah. do you have?
0: Uh I had those same four. Um I also I, I I put Howell Neto on there, and here's why: also a minimum salary, non guaranteed contract, and so right. I think it's pretty much, you know, unless they get into a situation where there's something they want to do, um, that that requires, you know, like maybe there's something they want to do that gets them close to the luxury tax line or close to the apron, um, and they need to shed just a little bit of salary. I think then they might cut him because. Depending on what else they do with the point guard spot, Howl Neto might become a little redundant. But um, but unless that happens, and I don't think that's likely to happen because the Jazz aren't going to be a salary cap team, so I think they will keep Neto, and he will at least come to fall camp. So I left him on my list just in the spirit of these are guys who I think will show up in October. That doesn't necessarily mean I think Neto makes the final roster or or stays all of next season. But but I think that he will still be a jazz player when the jazz reconvene at Zions bank basketball center in October.
1: Okay, fair enough. And, and I'd probably agree with that logic. I had him as a probably to sneak into the next category, um, only because, um, he is non-guaranteed. If they get in a position where they need those funds to do something, then, you know, maybe, but you're probably right. If they, uh, unless they just absolutely need that money or need to include him in a trade, um, he's, He's probably solid to stay here. The one reason I might not have said that a year ago is I would have said, Yeah, but the Jazz don't ever carry four point guards. Well, guess what? They yeah. did for a whole season. So he doesn't, it doesn't seem like he's necessarily. Uh, redundant, and of course, right now we're you know starting off with uh, one point guard under contract, so <laughs> we're no we're nowhere near four. But you know, depending on trades and signings and things, uh, we could end up back to the point where we have three plus neto. And at that point, what I learned this last year is don't assume he's out the door because um, apparently people in the organization like him, and he you know can he filled a role once in a while uh, this this year for the team.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and not to mention that obviously there is some discussion about how to best deploy Dante Exum. And I think because of that, they could keep Neto and the logic would be, he's sort of the fourth point guard, but he's also kind of the third and a half point guard because, um, because obviously, you know, right now they, they like playing Exum off the ball as much as they like putting the ball in his hands. But yeah. um, All right. I'll give you, I'll go first for the next category. Um, this is our probably, or the way I was thinking about it, is just anyone who I think it's better than a 50-50 shot. I put Hayward okay. on this list. Yep. That might be whatever. That might be overly confident. But I, I, in other words, I don't know that I would go to Vegas right now and ask for the sports book to take my bet on this one. But I do think it's more likely than not that he's back. Um, Ingles, I think, will be back. Um, because of the restricted free agent rights, I just think, um, that unless someone offers them something totally crazy, I think that they will match. I think it may not even come to that because I think that the jazz and Ingles have a kind of common understanding and, and they like each other. Um, and then the other one that I put in this category, and this might be like technically Incorrect in terms of like percentage odds, but I I think there's a good chance Diao is back. Um, I think if they don't use his salary in a trade, um, that there is a chance that they will waive him and then invite him back at the minimum. And just everything I've heard about how he's taking to Salt Lake City, I I think there's a chance that he might do that. I think, in other words, I think Diao is smart enough to look at the landscape and realize that he's probably not making seven and a half million from anyone next season. So, um, you know, if he's going to get, get traded and then waived or just get waived and then, and then have to sign somewhere at the minimum, it does seem like he likes it enough in Utah for that to be the place. Um, and that's it for my, for my, for my, you know, in other words, everyone else, I think that I have at least, decent reason to think that they might be a toss up.
1: Okay. So my list, uh, I obviously I already mentioned Netto. Um, uh, Hayward and Ingalls, I have both of them on the list for basically, I mean, we already discussed Hayward at, at length. And Ingalls, I think I think you're right. I mean, if he really, in earnest, went out to the market to get the most money he could get and brought that offer back, could there be an offer that would make the Jazz say no? Yes, but I'm just not sure that's the route it sounds like he is going to take. Maybe I'm dead wrong, or maybe his agent has different ideas and says, let's go, let's go get every last penny we can get. But it sounds to me like he also, like you mentioned about Diao has a fit he thinks this is a good place for him likes the organization and of course he's going to be a key I think or you know a piece that also draws Hayward back um I didn't have Diao on my list but I didn't I hadn't thought through that process of possibly waiving him and and re-signing him at a lower salary but the one additional name I did have was I over 50% I think Rodney Hood stays he's the only other guy I had on that list because I think um I think Quinn Snyder likes him. I think while he's got some things he needs to work on, and he kind of was flat this season, I think he's probably worth keeping for a 2.3 million dollar salary. Unless, I mean, the one caveat to any of these is unless you get a deal where it may—it's a no-brainer—you've got to put that piece in to get what you want back. Then you know, obviously, anybody could be in that. But I would say, without knowing, without that knowledge, I think he's higher than 50/50. So he's in my probably column.
0: See, and th- and that's probably technically correct too.
1: Um, we're just agreeing with each other every time we disagree.
0: Well, but here's my, here's my thing on hood. Here's why I called him a toss up. Um, Even though like, I think probably you're right in the sense that like it's, it's at least a 50% chance that he's back. But if you look at, so, so we've talked about the jazz may go the route where they try to do something with their cap space before June 30th. And if they do that, then there are only certain guys they can trade. They can't trade anyone who is um, who has pending free agency or who has an option year. Um, <clears throat> so, but at the same time, there you're not you you don't just go out and absorb a really good player. Like even if Minnesota wants to move Rubio, they they're not just going to give Rubio up. They recognize that Rubio is a really good, and I I don't mean to hash on Rubio. There are other guys we could talk about, but since he's the name we've used, I'm using that example. Um, he's a good enough player that they don't, they're not just going to give him away for nothing. Like they're still going to look for something of value in return. They're not necessarily going to want Derek Favors who's in the same salary slot, right? Because to them, a lot of the reason behind a Rubio trade would be to bring their salary down because for some reason they think that derrick rose is going to help them uh, win so i just think in terms of who has value but actually works from a salary perspective where they could bring back more money than what's going out um i think i think hood is actually like i think he's going to be pretty central to Trey's conversations this month
1: okay so i, I what you're saying in a nutshell is he's an asset that could be useful because of his low salary in a, in one of these salary dump type trades.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and okay. by the way, then there's basketball things to talk about. Like the fact that he, um, over the course of the season came out of the starting lineup and then didn't just, didn't just play off the bench in the playoffs, but like literally was probably the, I don't want to say the jazz worst player because that sounds a lot worse than it is. But if you look at NBA math um, you know, there's a Twitter account, NBA math who looks yeah, at, the, mm-hmm. yeah, he does the graphs with all of the players yeah. and the, the points added and the defensive points saved. And Rodney hood was like far and away the most negatively impactful player to the jazz in the playoffs. So I do think that there are some basketball related questions about, Hmm, how much more are the jazz getting out of Rodney hood in the future? And if, and if the answer to that is not incredibly bullish, then maybe this is the right time to trade him
1: yeah I don't okay know. so he's our he's our borderline guy between my probably your 50 50.
0: all right I'll do the rest of my toss ups um, okay I think I think the favors question is to me as intriguing as even the the Hayward and hill maybe not as the Hayward like obviously Hayward like Hayward's decision is a franchise shaping decision. But outside of Hayward's, I think Favors, um, the, the Favors question about how do the Jazz think of Favors going forward? Do they think he's part of the core? Do they think he can play with Gobert? Do they think they can get him healthy again and playing back with that same mix of athleticism and strength and agility? Um, you know, because if the answer to that is yes, then a, you're not going to find anyone better to to play starting power forward for the Utah Jazz. Um, and if the answer is no, then I think they almost have to move him this season. So that's the reason why I have, um, and by the way, we're doing really short shrift on this, like the favors thing could itself be a, its own podcast, but I have favors as a toss up for that reason. And I have Hill as a toss up. I, I think, I think whether or not they keep Hill is a coin toss at best.
1: Okay. I have uh, Derek Favors also. I'll just give you – I'll add a little bit on him and even, even though we're compressing it like he said. Um, there seems to be a disconnect from what we hear from Dennis Lindsay at the – you know, after the exit interviews and what we see on the court between you – know, as far as can Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors be on the court at the same time because what Dennis Lindsay says is, yeah, we've looked at the math. We've looked at the results. We, they can be on the court at the same time. No problem. And yeah, what we saw on the court, I think, I think you said one second they played together in Golden State series, or we had in the whole playoffs.
0: <laughs> it was one point two seconds that they played well, yeah. together in at the end of a half, like they were subbed in, so that they were both there for a rebound on a free throw. Right. One point yeah. two seconds in the Clipper series, they did not play together at all in the Golden State series. Okay,
1: and there were there were a few times I started to see. Uh, there was one time I remember when um, Favors had been fouled, shot his was getting ready to shoot his, uh, well, either either free throw. He was at the free throw line and had been in the game for a very short time and Gobert's back at the scorer's table and uh, Favors turns around, sees Rudy standing there waiting to check in, knows what that means. And I don't remember if he used an expletive or just had <laughs> a really resigned look on his face, but as he turned back to face you know, the camera and the basket, he just looked like, you got to be kidding me. I was just in the game for three minutes or whatever. You know, I, I'd have to go back and watch basically all the playoff games to find the spot. But <laughs> it was um, I mean, so I think the role is frustrating him as well. And I think there's some room to play them both. Um Right now, and part of that might have been because of the injuries as well. Right now, Quinn Snyder doesn't agree with that, um, or at least I shouldn't say right now, but during the playoffs he didn't, except for those, that one point two seconds stint. Where they, what was their plus minus?
0: Just kidding. I don't even remember. You know, in, <laughs> in sure one point two seconds, yeah, it was a question of yeah, whether the not I'm sure the free Israel throw Israel. went in. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah I, I mean, I hear you, and it's to me it's weird, and as much. As people, as, as much hand wringing as there was about, you know, Shelvin Mack, should he be playing? Should Neto be playing? Should Exxon be playing? I think the favors and Gobert thing was the weirdest thing about this season and especially the playoffs. Um, you know, the Clippers play almost all of their minutes where they have two big men on the floor, two traditional big men. Um, yeah. That was a little bit less true after the Blake injury, but still, you know, they played a lot of minutes where they had two bigs. Golden State, everybody thinks about their death lineup, but the reality is their death lineup plays for maybe a third of the games. And and really, um, in fact, at one point early on in the series, I think two games in, I had I had actually calculated, um, you know, the percentage of time that they had two big men on the floor. And it was something like two-thirds of the game or, or maybe even more than that. Maybe it was like three-fourths of the game. So there are opportunities to play those two. It's not like every minute that you play those two together, that means that you have favors guarding Kevin Durant. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. so again, the question is, was that just because his mobility was, was definitely hampered or is there something going on there where the jazz have just changed their mind about what favors is? And and that to me is a really intriguing question about this off season.
1: Yeah. And, and if- a a favors who is right is a whole lot better option against draymond green than boris diaw or joe johnson or you know joe had his heroics in the playoffs good on him but you know when when it was when it was down to draymond green playing the power forward position favors was a better option if he was healthy and able to to be that um so that's that's really where the question lies to me and then i guess if he gets back healthy does Quinn give him that chance in the future or does Quinn start looking at him as, Oh no, he's a backup center now. Um, so the rest of my guys, George Hill, I agree 50 50. I had Boris Diaw in this category. Although, you know, like you mentioned, maybe he gets waved and comes back anyway, because he, he has seemed to, uh, you know, be a good fit for, for the team and the city and seems to enjoy playing with Rudy and all the guys, as long as he's got his, his coffee machine in his locker room. (laughs) I think he's, he's a happy man. And, uh, I put him as a 50, 50 and I don't, and you didn't, um, I still have, hold on to your, who who do you think I'm going to say here?
0: You're going to say Lyle's.
1: No, I'm going to say Mac. Oh, I, I still have him as a 50, 50 because you know, I don't, I don't always see it. He does some good things. Obviously there were, there were games that where he was a positive. Um, I don't see it on a consistent basis, but, he seems to always get uh, not always, but he seems to get run when uh, the situation is there. Or when you know when there's a sometimes it's not just a, an emergency. So I think there's some chance he's back, but most likely probably not. So he's probably a little less than fifty percent. I guess we didn't have a category between gone and fifty-fifty. <laughs> so he's probably somewhere in the middle there.
0: Okay. I uh, yeah. I mean maybe maybe you're right and maybe I'm projecting my analysis of him over Quinn Snyder's apparent analysis of him. Um, I think even a lot of, I don't know, this could very quickly become a 20 minute discussion about Sheldon Mack that nobody needs to hear in late May. So I guess I'll just suffice it to say, I would be a little surprised if he was back. I would be even more disappointed if he was back, just because I think the jazz need to get to a point where they're making different decisions about what to get out of the point guard spot than that in other words I think most of what he does offer because you're right he had he's had some good games even in the playoffs he had some really good games I'm not sure anything he did in those games is something that you couldn't go replace and eliminate some of the downside in other words yeah if you pressure the ball on the weak side on the strong side Shelvin Mack in ball rotation can make a straight line drive and make a layup Guess what? So can a lot of guys in that same situation. So, um, you know, defensively, I think he is an unmitigated disaster. Like, I think defensively he is so bad. And I don't get why he's still allowed to do like it really perplexes me. I wrote about this in a column during the playoffs. The way that he gets up on guys at 35 feet from the basket that he has no chance of moving laterally to stay in front of. Like the jazz coaching staff has to see that. So either they've never said, hey, man, Basketball 101 says you give a guy a cushion out there, or they've said that and he's still ignoring them and doing the way that he wants to do. So I'm not sure which one it is, but right. that's just a weird phenomenon to me that continues to cost the Jazz points on the defensive end. So All right, so go
1: on. I have Alec Burks. We haven't talked much about him. Right. The Jazz are hoping I... I think they're hoping he's gone, just for salary perspective, not not anything personal. Uh, Jeff Withey, and then I had Trey Lyles in here as well. Uh, you you had that same list, I think, except you had Mac and you're gone, right?
0: Yeah, and I'm interested to hear your logic on Lyles. Obviously not because I disagree with you. I just want to know, like, this is a show your work type of podcast. So, like, what what's your logic on Lyles being, quote-unquote, gone?
1: Yeah, you know... I, I toyed with putting him in as a 50-50 because his exit interview and the things he said at the end of the season sounded like the right things, but he just seemed so disengaged. He's he on the court. Let's start with on the court. Just a terrible, terrible season. Um, not only did he not take a step up, I think he took three steps backward in almost every aspect of the game. He, he – uh, uh, defense was poor. It felt like he didn't – it felt like he – hadn't hit a basket since about february um he uh you know some of the players where you cringe when they're when they're winding up to shoot like i remember uh karolenko i used to when he wound up to shoot a three i'd cringe a little bit i didn't even cringe for miles i just felt like oh it's not making it what what's the point in stressing about it um and then, and then the off the court stuff, or you know, on the bench, he just didn't seem nearly as engaged as he used to. Uh, made me wonder if you know he either saw the writing on the wall, or he wanted to be the one writing on the wall and telling them, "Get me out of here." Uh, I, don't, I don't know why he would have any reason to think it would be so much better elsewhere, but I just that that's kind of the vibe I was getting off of him, watching him a little bit.
0: Yeah, I agree. Late in the season, yeah, I I agree. That's exactly my logic on Lyles. Um, I think you know, again, I won't, I won't go too much into, well, yeah, I, I, I think that more concerning than the on court regret, than, than the basketball outcomes regression was the mental regression. Like, I just don't think that he was there all the time, um, you know, mentally and, and wanting to be, you know, wanting to do that. In other words, Quinn Snyder talks a lot about process versus outcomes. And if it was just that he had bad outcomes all the time, then I'd be like, oh man, that was quirky because he's doing things the right way. But, um, it's been a long time since I've felt like, oh, Trey Lyles is doing things the right way.
1: Yeah. But even when his outcomes were poor, I could, I usually felt like I could take that back to the process was poor. (laughs) Like he would, you know, taking a, taking a terrible shot is a bad process that leads to a bad outcome. It's not like you took a good shot and it just didn't go in. So I,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Um, it's trey is another one of those guys who um and the jazz actually have a lot of this right now um i think there are a lot of players that we as people who look at the jazz from the outside view as specialists in one department or another but then they don't actually specialize in the thing they're a specialist in and (laughs) i think lyles is you know, a stretch slash playmaking big who doesn't make the shots when he's stretching and he doesn't make good decisions when he's playmaking. I think Rodney Hood for for long stretches. I mean, he'll have he'll have like a good month or two at a time, but for for long stretches, he's a shooter who can't shoot. And then the other guy who I think kind of falls into this category, and it's the the last guy we haven't talked about um, or or haven't talked about at length. I think Alec Burks at this point is, you know, that prototypical bench scorer. The only problem is he can't score off the bench. Like he just has kind of lost his mojo. And I don't know if that's injuries or, or whatever, but, um, he's another guy who I think is probably gone. And, and mostly I say that for financial reasons. And I think the only real question I have with Alec where Alec is concerned is, um, in other words, I, I think the only suspense for jazz fans w- with Alec is—is is he someone who there's still someone out there who's interested enough in what Alec purportedly offers that the jazz or... can right, or does it actually cost them an asset to get to get right. that eleven million off their books?
1: Yeah, which would be unfortunate because the asset we're most likely talking about is one of the two first round picks and the Jazz are going to need those picks for the low salary and then eventually for you know to provide players. Mm-hmm. But you know, they can they can pick up low cost players elsewhere. But it'd be nice to pick up low cost players um who have a little more uh you know who who are a little higher in demand. I I know they're only picking twenty four and thirty, but uh for the price they'll be paying for those players they in the the draftees, at least eventually, will be better than the the corresponding players they'll get in the free agent market at that rate,
0: yeah, yep. Uh, I agree. i mean, if if teams view that as a pure salary dump, in other words, if the Philadelphias and brooklyns and and um, New Yorks of the world, well, New York doesn't really have cap space depending on what they do with Mellow. But you know, if the teams with cap space, look at Alec Burks and see. 20 million of dead salary, then then I think actually it might take more than a pick. Like historically yeah. speaking, the going rate for dumping 10 million in salary is a first rounder. You know, it's it's a first rounder per 10 million of salary that you're asking someone to absorb. So that might be a situation where someone says, OK, we'll take him. But we need, you know, this year's Golden State pick and a conditional 2019 or something like that. And that's pretty steep so the question is yeah does one of those teams with cap space look at him and actually see something that they that they think they could make fit on their roster I, and I don't right. really answer that question I don't I don't know enough about how Philly's brain trust for example feels about a guy who comes off the bench, hurls his body in the general direction of the rim, sometimes gets a call sometimes gets a layup and always gets the Houdini reference I, I don't know
1: but increasingly uh, less often is he getting the <laughs> call and is he getting the basket? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and increasingly less often does he deserve the Houdini reference that he may get anyway?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. I've, I've felt for a long time, probably since before it was in vogue to think this way, I've always felt like Alec Burks was like a, a Marcus Thornton type if he was really lucky. Um, Because Marcus Thornton, if you think about him, like he came into the league and he was just kind of that unconscionable bench scorer. And a lot of people probably think that's an insult, but, but really like Marcus Thornton could score the heck out of the basketball. I think he had a season averaging 18 early in his career. So, so even calling Alec Burks, that might be a little overly aggressive, you know, might be a little overly complimentary. Um, I've just never seen in Alec Burks, someone who I, I thought was going to set the league on fire or or someday challenge for a starting role or, you know, or make it tough to sit someone else or, you know, to, to, to sit him on the bench, to bring your, your starters back in. Even like, I, I just, I think he's kind of, he kind of is what he is. And, and lately he's not even a great version of what he is, but obviously he might get some of that back as he gets healthier. Right. Um, all right. Well, that was a long one, but, but in our defense, we did go through, um, 15 players um what i'd love to do as the draft and free agency gets closer is you know in the spirit of kind of the ricky rubio discussion and some of these some of these other guys start to think about um who would um you know who are who are some guys not on the jazz who might be targets or or some prototypes or or categories of guys that maybe they'd be looking at you know, for example, if, if Derek Favors leaving is something that becomes a reality, what do you do with 48 minutes, not even 48 minutes of power forward, what are you doing with the, out of the 96 minutes of power forward and center, what are you doing yeah. with the 60, 58 minutes? Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the whatever that Rudy Gobert is sitting. And I think that's as interesting a question as, as who stays and who goes. But obviously that'll be for another time.
1: Well, if you choose, bring your microphone to Lancaster, Pennsylvania in a couple of weeks. And uh, of course, then you'll probably take a home and we won't use it. But uh, we could do it. We could do it. We could chat then. In fact, we could, instead of doing 2,000 miles away, we could chat face to face then while recording it.
0: That'd be weird. That yeah, would. Do, do podcasts work that way? I'm not sure that's ever been attempted. I,
1: I understand they can.
0: All right. Well... We'll uh, be back at you soon talking about more Utah Jazz basketball here at saltcityhoops.com.